Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka uh aka oh yeah, I'm kimchi on stage. I was like, wait, which alias am I going to be <laughs> speaking on today? Um, kimchi on stage. You can find me on stage. I think this week I should be at Shakers Show Lounge in Vancouver, Canada. If you are around, feel free to come say hi. Feel free to come chat, get dance with me. Um, chat about the show, how much you love it. <laughs> Whatever you want to do or just pay me money, I'm totally fine with that. Um, I am a content creator. I've also been a sugar baby many moons ago. I was also a cam model very briefly and then realized it wasn't for me and I hated it. And <laughs> I've been doing this show for, oh my gosh, almost three years now, nearly three years. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's been like a wild ride and it's been an amazing experience in terms of like connecting people uh, within our industry to help destigmatize the industry because as we all know, our industry is highly, highly stigmatized. So just bringing on different guests every single week has just been so empowering for me but also I don't know I feel like I'm doing some good work so I mean not to pat myself on the back but I think it's important <laughs> important discussions to be had um if you're hearing a wonderful voice in the background I will be revealing our guest in about a minute but y'all have to sit tight for a second because I need to shout out all the people that are supporting um, on Patreon. Um, of course, I had monetized this show for the longest time. And then people are just like sending me random money to my PayPal. And they're like, why don't you have a Patreon? I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I'll start one. Um, so thank you to those people who are subscribing. There are lots of you on the lower tiers. Um, I am going to give some fan shout outs to those on the top tier. So quick shout out to Justin Erickson. I've been supporting since day one. Thank you very much. Uh, down in Oregon. And then we have Snoo Snoo, who I believe is from Germany. Thank you so much. And also providing so much great feedback on all these recent episodes. We have um, Jay Sunsern, who is local to where I am here in Canada. And Arup Sarkar, who is, again, also local here uh, in Canada. Thank you all for, for subscribing and taking these sneak peeks um, of all like how my crazy brain works uh, when it comes to the show, uh, watching and commenting on the video exclusives, like what you'll be seeing today. Um, and yeah, just for sticking around. So thank you so, so much. If you're interested in that, it's patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. And I did promise everyone that I was going to reveal the guest today, which I'm like super, super stoked to talk about and like interview and just chat and shoot the shit. So I am very excited to bring on Mistress Marley on to the show this week. I am going to be listing out all of the wonderful things that this bad bitch does because she does fucking everything. Period. <laughs> Period. And I am just like, when I saw, when I read about you, it was like, where do you find the time to do everything? So for those who are listening at home, just a few things um, in terms of you're not really familiar with Mistress Marley or her work, but she's a dominatrix specializing in financial domination. She's a sex and kink educator. She's an activist. She's a mentor. She is the Beyonce of BDSM, which <laughs> I fucking love that term. 
She's also the founder of so many things. So I'll, I'll mention she has a lingerie line called Pink Matrix, which is sex worker friendly, not to mention super cheap and super like affordable and amazing and just super, super amazing. Um, she's also uh, one of the masterminds behind Brooklyn's first black-owned dungeon, Whips, uh, Whips Dom Academy, the Black Dom Collective, her sex academy on Patreon, Black and Kinky. Uh, am I missing anything? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. You got a lot of things. You've got like this amazing <laughs> resume going on here and just – you do so much and they're just they're all intertwined and just related to sex work and I just think it's amazing and we're we're gonna try our best to to dabble into a little bit of everything because I'm just so curious and also just like wowed by you but Mistress Marley please say hello to the audience hi everybody nice to e-meet you online meet you Um, I'm so stoked to be on the podcast today with Sia she has such a warm spirit and I just I, we haven't even started talking yet, and I'm already just like, it's the smile for me. It's the infectious smile I think that you have that's already <laughs> in. So I'm just, I'm just ready to talk and like get into it. I'm stoked. I am just really excited to have you on the show today. And you know, it's been a long time since I've had a dominatrix on the show. It's been a little bit, so we'll definitely be talking a little bit about that, touching on that. I, I feel like a lot of this episode, I feel like the centralized theme for this episode is going to be mentorship, uh, just with everything that you do. And you even are like a self-proclaimed mentor to many up-and-coming doms, people within the sex work industry. So I really want to be able to highlight that because that's just, it seems like a huge thing that's guiding your career um, in this industry. But gosh, like uh, if I were to throw it back to you, throw the mic back at you, um how would you introduce yourself to the audience? And okay. some people hate this question. But like, who are you? <laughs> so I'm Mrs. Marley. I'm a pro-dominatrix specializing in financial domination. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm also a sex and kink educator. I run Black and Kinky, um, Black Dom Collective. There's also Whips Dom um, Academy that is ran in Whips Dungeon that I just opened in March. So I just opened a dungeon. All around, I'm just someone just in this industry who really wants to make things accessible to black doms, um, brown sex workers, black and brown sex workers, people who feel like they might have been left out of the conversation. Um, Also, just talking on mentorship. Mentorship is huge to me because when I came in the industry a little bit around four years ago, I didn't have anyone to help me. Um, Yes, I had the basics of Google and seeing like videos and stuff like that, but I didn't have anyone actually touching base with me to let me know the little things because... I think when people first get into sex work, we just think money, social media, do some content. But there's so much little shit in the in-between, like interacting with clients and all that stuff. Like there's so much. So me being able to provide that for upcoming, you know, baby doms is is really enriching. Yeah, it's it's so important. And like not even just talking about like doming specifically, but like even my experience as a sugar baby, many – like many years ago, there was like no one talking about that. Like it was like very like taboo and I exactly. had no one to talk to about this kind of stuff. So Yeah, same. Um I used to be a sugar baby in college. So I was a sugar baby. My first sugar daddy date was like when I was nineteen. So like mm-hmm. a little part of the background. I my first ever introduction to sex work was stripping. So I stripped in college. 
Yes. So <laughs> I stripped for about a year. And then even when I moved to New York for grad school, I did a little bit of stripping here and there. So that's what my first start to sex work was. So just like you said, like it was taboo. No one really talked about it. I didn't really learn about it until I moved here to New York. Come and I, I, learned about it, I learned about it through working in a sex club. So there's like just so, there's so many things. There's so many things. Okay, wait, wait. Let's try to go back a bit. Like, where did this all begin for you? Or like, what was your life before? Because I know that you have like a bit of history in terms of like, you had a career in fashion as well, too. Where do you want to start? <laughs> um. So I guess we could basically start from college. So um, I'm originally from a small town in North Carolina called Greenville, North Carolina. Um, Grew up with a big family, three brothers, three sisters. Both my parents were around. Um, I was always just the kid in my town that was really weird and just like different from everybody else. Like I would always go to school wearing the crazy hairstyles, crazy shoes. <laughs> so then when I went to, when I went to college, um, I've loved fashion since I was in elementary school. So I, when I went to college, I majored in fashion design. And then um, from there, I moved to New York to do grad school. So me coming to New York was because of school. So I came here. I went to LIM College where um, I majored in fashion marketing. So fashion, fashion, fashion was just always my life. Like if you would have told me in my freshman year of college I would be doing this now, I'd probably laugh. But at the same time be thinking, yeah, I would do that. because <laughs> I'm big on Zodiac, so I'm an Aquarius. And we just do. Oh. Like, we just do crazy shit. Like we just love to do it. Air signs. I'm a Libra. So I'm like. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, we're like, let's just do it. Um, so like all through grad school, I worked a ton of fashion jobs here in New York. I did like interning. I was assistant buyer at Tommy Hilfiger. Then I was a buyer at Gap. Um, you know, I did so many different things in the corporate industry, but I was still living pay uh, paycheck to paycheck very painfully. Mm -hmm. Like not even a way of like, oh, like I was so excited to move nine to five because I used to just work retail. So I was like, oh, I'm going nine to five. I'm moving up. Like, but that shit does not matter in New York. Like, it, like everything. <laughs> expensive um so then i was finding side jobs and i went on craigslist aquarius thing of course <laughs> and i um typed in just like jobs and clubs and this sex club came up for like older people in um the city so i went and i like applied had the interview and got it and pretty much my job was to be a hostess so make sure that everyone had like champagne everyone was good make sure no one was really breaking any like rules and there's an older lady that worked in coat check and you know we would have conversations on our breaks and stuff and she was talking about how she used to be a dominatrix when she was younger ah so, like my knowledge of being a dom was always like 50 shades of gray which is the worst example anyone could use for themselves especially a woman <laughs> trying to get into it yeah. Um, like, those are my examples of it. And then, like, Rihanna was my favorite artist. So I was like, oh, I know the SM song. You know, I know that. Pains and whips excite me. Like, okay. Um, but, like, right. So, like, the more that I did my own research, like, I would type in, like, Dominatrix and just see images on Google, but it still wasn't really sticking. And then what happened was I Googled just, like, how to make money as a woman online. Um, I knew there was webcam work and stuff like that, but I wanted to see if there's other avenues. And then that's when I saw financial domination. Uh -huh. And that's what brought me here today. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. So, I mean, wow, this is a whirlwind of everything. But, okay, then this is how you landed here. So, <laughs> 
So financial domination, like what did you learn? And maybe because we haven't had an episode in this in a long time since the last season. Um, did you want to just quickly prime the audience? Because we have a mix of, well, sex workers, but also like a lot of vanilla people that listen to the show, the people that don't even know anything about sex work. They're using this to like educate themselves. What is financial domination? Okay, so you have like, so you have the big umbrella of BDSM, then you have like another umbrella of kink. And then under that umbrella is all the different kinks that people are into. And one of those kinks are financial domination. And financial domination is more so on the psychological side of kinks. Um, so it doesn't involve much physical, I mean, majority of my clients, I want to say 95% of them I don't see in person. They're all virtual. Mm-hmm. So financial domination is basically when a submissive person gets off by handing a dominant person their money, whether it's sending them reimbursements, letting them drain their wallet, which is taking amounts of money over um, like a set amount of time, or whether it's just them paying your bills, paying for food, um, paying for gas, for Uber, whatever it might be that you need, they pay for it. And that can be them paying for it, like showing you who they are, like it's me, or just silently, anonymously sending money. So um, it's definitely something that people look at and say, there's no way that's real. Because when I Googled it, I said the same thing. I said, there's no way. Like, especially from in sex work i know that money is always in the exchange for something yeah um, so in financial domination it was like oh they can send me money and i don't even have to send them a picture or say hello or anything so that's pretty much what it is it's all like psychological yeah very very psychological i'm glad you mentioned that too i mean there's a lot of mind games that come with that uh power play that comes into that as well but um when you first Googled financial domination, like what came up for you and what was the appeal that kind of like hooked you in? And like, how did you go from a Google search to actually doing it and making it real? So when I saw financial domination, um, the first person that came up, she does phone sex operations. She teaches it. Her name is like Amberly PSO. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's like, that's the first thing I saw because she was teaching people how to do FinDom. But at the time I'm like, I don't really have it right now to pay for like an ebook. Let me just keep trying to like go and go. And then that's when it led me to Twitter. And mm-hmm. on Twitter, if you even type in FinDom in the search box, you'll see a whole world of financial domination. So when I, you know, searched it up and saw all these women posting about it, like posting their receipts after they've eaten, like send me my money back. Um, you're going to fund my life today, losers. Like the way they were talking, I was like, oh my God, there's so many people that's doing it. But one thing that stuck out to me the most is I didn't really see women that look like me doing it. Ooh, yes. I would love yeah. to pick your brain on this because can we yeah. just talk about doming, and I'm just going to say it out loud, how white it can look? Yes. It can look extremely white, and I think that's why in the beginning of my journey I was a little hesitant and I was a little like – basically pretty much like not having any hope that I would get any money or whatever. Like I knew I was attractive, but I'm like, okay, is this the industry that really works for like people that look like me, like black women. And I just remember seeing nothing but white women or whatever. Um, and I was just like, where are all the black women at? And then something told me like, just still make your profile, do what you got to do. Don't worry about what other people are doing. But it was to the point where like, I would reach out to like white doms or white women that I saw and just try to ask for advice. I would even offer to tip them, send them like a little something for their time. They would either ignore me, block me, or just be like, you know, um, you can go learn from someone else or whatever, which no one is obligated to teach me. But for me, you know, you had some people that were just playing like, I can't teach it, which I like admire the honesty. But then you just had some people that just straight up would block me and ignore me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's really no one helping like other women out there with this, you know? That's crazy. Um, 
Yeah. So like just seeing how the industry was, like it was just always in my mind to say like, and I'm a I'm big on manifesting. I was like, I'm gonna change the route of this shit. Okay. And I think I think I did that. I think I was able to do that. I was like, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna like bring so many black women into this, and then that's when I got into everything else that I do. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I mean, you've definitely made your mark <laughs> in the industry and also just doing everything that you're doing and just like making a safe space for black and brown women because I mean, even a person like myself. I'm a person of color and just not being able to see anyone or being able to resonate with other people, like that can be really, really challenging. Like, yeah. Like, can you tell us a little bit in terms of like how you got out of that funk in terms of like, I can actually do this and I can find success into this because it can be really disheartening at first. I think I got out of that funk because even as a little girl I never took no for an answer so I was just a like I wasn't a bad child but I was a questioning child I always would say why 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 like why can't I do this why can't I do that well this is how I'm going to make it work so like for someone like me that never took no as an answer I didn't see it as like I'm not going to do it was I discouraged yes but I was like I'm still going to do what I have to do because I want to be that one person that makes it out or that one person that just does what they needed to do um so I just said fuck it I made my profile I started doing my content and to me like posting like sexy pictures and videos and little stuff like that wasn't really foreign to me. Cause I just, I did stuff like that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always felt like I had the gift of gab, especially previously being a sex work, having sugar daddies, being a stripper. So I had that knowledge or whatever. And I knew like um, how men, you know, act in this industry, how you're going to have some trolls, how you're going to have some rude people. Like I already knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry just jumped in and I just said to myself you know eventually I was like there's no groups for black women that look like me let me make one and then that's mm-hmm. how I started black dom um sorority from there oh yes I mean okay I definitely want to talk about that I mean I want to talk about so many things so like with um your brief stand do well not, I don't know if it's brief but your work as a stripper and also your sugar baby work too how did those experiences benefit or like help you in in being like a, a dominatrix? And also, how did it differ? Because they can they can look a little bit different as well. Yeah, um, I think I, it definitely helped me in language as in getting what I'm, I want. Because you know, as a stripper, when you're trying to sell those VIP rooms and you're trying to do like sell other rooms and do what you have to do, you use the gift of gab. Not saying you're in their face trying to do like a marketing pitch or whatever, but you're being very like innocent and sweet and, you know, all giggly and <laughs> just the auto persuasion in these industries. Right. So like I knew that was there. I knew that I would be able to have conversations. I knew I would be able to persuade these subs to like pay me money, do whatever they have to do. Um, and then it also really differs because I feel like in stripping and in um, being a sugar baby, you're kind of like catering to the man, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you're doing what, not doing what they want you to do, but you're doing something that benefits them. So like being a sugar baby, they're most of the time setting the dates. They're telling you where they want you to go. They have a certain look sometimes. Um, when you're a stripper, your boss is telling you like when you should, when you can come in and work a shift. Um, 
like what set times you're doing or whatever. Like, and to me, it's more tiring. Those jobs are more tiring to me. Being a sugar baby was tiring. Yeah. And um, I still have sugar daddies, but they're more so like calm and they're submissive, which works for me. Mm-hmm. But like being a stripper was tiring and being a sugar baby was definitely tiring. So it definitely differs in the way of, I feel like I have more freedom over my work. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, going back to doming as a general uh, topic, does it always have to be aggressive? Because I've had conversations with many dominatrixes and, you know, there's different styles as well. Um, just for those who might be listening who have this very stereotypical view of what doming is, can you speak to that? Yeah. So a lot of people have this um... – you know, misconception that being a dom is all about, you know, being aggressive and get down and shut up and do what I say. But there's so many different types of personalities when it comes to doms. Like you can be sensual, you can be bratty, um, you can be nurturing, you can be aggressive and sadistic. Um, I consider myself to be sensually sadistic. So I'll whoop your ass, but I might nurture you along the way, or I might say something really sweet along the way. Um, so it really just depends on your personality. Like there's so many different ways you can go. I mean, there's a lot of doms that do gaming. So they dominate through like while they're gaming and on their headsets and stuff like that. Um, I had this one friend that did like tarot card reading. So she would read their future and their future was that they're going to send her money. Like, so it was just like, there's so many creative ways that you can be a dominatrix and it doesn't always have to be like aggressive. And I think that's the misconception people have from movies, pop culture. Um, Also another thing too, not all doms will be in leather and latex. There's some doms. There's some doms that will do stuff in lingerie, regular clothing, cosplay. Like there's so many different types of like things that we can do. And I think now with, you know, social media blowing up BDSM and being a dominatrix, we're able to get so many different ideas from different places. Totally. I mean, on that line too, in in terms of like busting these myths and these misconceptions, um, from other people that I've spoken to as well, like, and I'm not sure if you have an experience with this or have an opinion on this, but with uh, doming specifically and in the BDSM world, I've heard of instances where some, and this goes back to a conversation about hierarchy, um, and some people were saying that it's looked down upon if you have sex with your client or your sub and whatnot and like what are your thoughts on that it's definitely like this whole hierarchy thing like, is definitely a lot with it it's crazy because as sex workers we're always banding together to get the vanilla people to accept us but even within our own industry we're put like we're putting stigmas on stupid shit so like yes. my thing is i always tell people sex work is work no matter what type of work it is whether i'm stripping escorting um doing dom work, doing cam work, doing OnlyFans, it's all sex work. And we're all fighting for each other. We already have enough judgment from the outside. So why even bring that shit inside? Like we really need to stick together. Um, My work, whether I get naked or not, does not make me any less um, important than anybody else. It does not make me more of a whore than anybody else. It's what I decide to do in my work. Because at the end of the day, we're all providing a service. And I think some people come into Dom work and, you know, I'll get the vanilla people that want to come into this work that have done no research. And it's crazy because I answered a question about this on my Instagram and someone was like, I want to do this work, but I have a husband and I don't want to get naked. And I think I just kind of went off on her. I was like, (laughs) no, you need to just pretty much focus on why you want to do this work and why you think getting naked is wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, you're disrespecting other sex workers by saying that and sex workers that do get nude. 
you know? And for someone like me that's come from different areas of sex work, I used to strip. So I, I'm used to getting topless and getting naked. To now where I don't really get naked as much or naked at all, I still know that at any time I might have to go back to that position. I don't think people realize at any time, you never know what you might have to do for survival. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just, people that like, that do that, especially like, it's so funny because the OnlyFans, a lot of OnlyFans girls think they're not sex workers. I'm like, you're, you're sex <laughs> it's okay. Sex work, I try to tell people sex work does not always mean penetration, but yeah. your sex work is selling the image of sex, sensuality, any of that nature, anything for a service. So that's my opinion on that. I can go on a whole oh tangent about it. <laughs> I can go <laughs> I'm like, go off. I can go off. It angers me. Like, I've legit went off on people and, like, have gotten blocked by people for this, for, like, saying, like, you need to stop thinking you're better than the next person because you don't take your clothes off. Yeah. I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, they all see us as whores. So just might as well whore it up. (laughs) Totally. I was just going to say, like, when you were saying that earlier, I was like, well, we're all whores. (laughs) Yeah, we're all whores. Like, we're all whores. Yeah, I'm just – I mean, one last note about the hierarchy is just, it's so problematic and that yeah. shit needs to stop. Like, and I – like, the fact that I see that and, like, so many big, like, quote-unquote stars making comments that just perpetuates that, it's just like, oh, my gosh, yeah. stop. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Sorry, I had to take off on that tangent there. But <laughs> back – steering back to the conversation, um, you mentioned that's how you started – the Black Dom Collective. Can you can you speak to that? Like, what is that? Black Dom Sorority was created um, from, like I said before, the lack of having groups of women that look like me. So it's crazy. We started off on a Facebook group, which was the worst thing to do because sex work and Facebook doesn't mix. No. Um, <laughs> we started off on a small Facebook group um, just of, like, women I knew that also were into it or women that heard word of mouth. So we would just go in there. We would talk about, like, personal stuff. We would ask questions about being a dom. Um, a sub is asking me for this. How do I accept payment? Just little stuff. We were kind of just all learning off of each other. So at this time, I wasn't teaching because I was still learning, but I wanted to make a group. So we were kind of all just exchanging information within each other or whatever. Then um, November 2019, I went to my homecoming and walked a white man on a leash. I saw and, that video. <laughs> I went I went viral and from there my Facebook group was getting so many requests. I think I had a thousand requests to join, like a thousand plus. Oh and I God. thought, holy shit, we need to take this off Facebook because people, you know, most people's Facebook names are real names. I'm like, we need to have that up there. So I was like, what can I do? How can I move this? So then we moved to GroupMe, which is an app. And then from there, that's when I decided to name it Black Dime Sorority. And, um, you know, there was so much wealth of knowledge. I was starting to teach a little more by then. So then I started charging for the group, but it was only like $5 a month. So it was very cheap. Yeah. Um, and, I still, and I still keep that same, um, like, business model now. But it was very cheap. And we all came over to group me. And then from there, we just blossomed. And I named it Black Dime Sorority. And I started making, like, different, like, regions, like Black Dime Sorority, Northeast and Midwest oh. and West Coast. Yeah, and South. So it really like Took expanded. Off. Yeah. Yeah, really expanded. So um we've had a range from just like so many members. Like we have we've had thousands of members and I had to scale it back because I really wanted it to be a more intimate group of the people that were serious because you know in groups like that, you always have lurkers that just want to be nosy, see what's going on. They want to get into sex work, but then they don't want to get into sex work or you know, whatever. So then yeah. I have to like bring it down. But that's pretty much what Black Dom Sorority was and you know, we've done everything from toy drives to backpack drives for kids, um, you know, sex workers wow. that have children, 
yeah, sex workers that have children that might be in need and, and you know stuff like that. We've had holiday parties, so it's been it's been a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> That's so amazing. And just the fact that it was just like a little thing that you wanted to, you know, establish community um, and just like bounce ideas off of each other. I love how like organic that that came and then just like grew and blew up. Basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like we need more of those groups and it's, it's hard to find those groups sometimes um, that are publicly uh, like they're like public knowledge or like publicly available because as you yeah. mentioned, like. Yeah, I mean, a couple Facebook groups that I'm in that are secret, like, have been taken down because of, like, trigger words or, like, um, stuff within the algorithm that gets picked up. And it's just, like, yeah. can be a dangerous place to be. But yeah. that's, that's really awesome. That's that's super great to hear. And, like, what has, like, the – like I guess now because you're in more of, like, a teaching role, um, do you still have that – that, that intimate kind of vibe where people are still like encouraged to share and like the people still have that sense of community or like how is that being facilitated? Yeah. So um, through my Patreon, I have a Patreon called the sex Academy. Um, it ranges from $5 to a hundred dollars a month, a hundred dollars being the one-on-one like mentoring with me. Um, so within the, just the regular tiers, the $5, $10 tiers, I have a Patreon where people can come in um, and ask their questions and stuff because on my Patreon now I have over 700 students. So it's basically impossible for me to answer every individual question, especially of people that, you know, might can't afford the higher tiers or whatever. But to make it fair, what I do is I put the Discord chat so that way p- pretty much we can ask each other questions. Do you know about this? Do you know about that? That way it's not leaning so much on me as like, oh, she needs to be available all the time because I love a work-life balance and I'm very strict on that. Good. Um, yeah, so it, it builds community. And also, we have, like, a section where, like, we put our content. So we help each other retweet each other's content and get each other's stuff out there. So it's a, it's a little community that we've built that's pretty much um, close-knit. That's awesome. And I, I did take a look at the Sex Academy uh, that you have on Patreon. And, like, again, like, you offer so many different tiers um, and stuff in there. And, again, a really, really low uh, cost barrier to entry, which is awesome. And can you talk about accessibility and how, like, what, what kind of importance that weighs upon? So accessibility is super important, especially in sex work, because the main thing everyone needs to know in this work is safety. Um, there's even been times where I've taught free safety classes. Um, I'll do like a free Zoom. I did a free um, FinDom marketing class or whatever for people, um, because my thing is. I don't want it to be something where someone couldn't keep themselves safe because they couldn't afford a class. Right. So I never want to be that barrier of, oh, so-and-so really could have learned this from me, but I was charging a thousand something dollars. Like, you know, it's, it's insane. Like, and I've seen courses and classes where it's been like 2000, $3,000 and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. you know, so, I mean, you know, get your bag, do what you got to do, but some stuff, you know, really needs to just be out there and be taught in a way. So that's why I did the Patreon where it's $5 a month. You're learning all these things and you always have access to the courses. It's not like the courses are there and they disappear. They're always there. And Sex Academy has been up since April 2020. So I started a month after the pandemic. Wow. And it has over now, I want to say, 150 courses and growing. So there's always something there. And accessibility in this industry is really important because I look at somebody like me that didn't have any of this. And, you know, I had to learn. I made a lot of mistakes starting out. But I really hope that, you know, me providing this information will help someone from not making those same mistakes. 
I love that. I mean, like, I, I think it's so important to have um, your programs and these resources to be accessible. Like, of course, like, not everything can be free. Um, yeah. Because, like, obviously, we're putting our time, our emotional labor into this work. And even just answering questions here and there, like, that is very, like, time-consuming and also just really tiring. Because, um, of course, with our Twitters open, we get bombarded all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, and then, of course, just, like, talking about, like, other courses and courses that I've even seen as well along the same lines that you're mentioning just in the $1,000 range. I'm like, who yeah. can really afford that? And if, like, there's no guarantee that you're going to be successful after that. Right. Right. right? It's, uh, it's really problematic and also, like, just hard. <laughs> hard yeah. to witness sometimes. Yeah, you know, a lot of people in this industry, they're either, they're trying to, you know, paycheck to paycheck. They're trying to pay their bills. They're trying to do what they have to do. And, you know, to charge that much to me is like, okay, like, wow. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, t- on the co- topic about, I can't even speak right now. On the <laughs> topic, geez, it's been a long day. <laughs> on the topic of um, like mentoring and stuff too, this is something that you obviously take a lot of pride and joy in. Can you speak in terms of like some of these courses or programs that um, your potential students and like up and coming baby doms and whatnot that they can take um, in order to learn more? Because I I did see a a few different buckets, but I'll let you speak about it. Yeah. So I have the Patreon, which is the monthly courses. So it's a monthly subscription. You get access to 150 plus courses. I even do once a month Zoom open Q&A. So I'll get on Zoom for an hour and just answer any questions that people are throwing at me. Um, I also randomly just drop classes on my Twitter. So like I did a FinDom and FemDom marketing free class. Um, I also have an Etsy page. So my Etsy page is basically the recording of those classes. So there's some people that don't want to commit to subscription, but maybe they just want to buy one course. So I mm-hmm. offer that also. It's downloadable. And then I'm opening the um, Whips Dom Academy at Whips Dungeon this fall in August. So that will be an in-person academy for baby doms here in New York that want to learn not only from me and my business partner, Goddess Rue, who's also my best friend, but also we're going to bring in guest instructors from all around that can teach certain things because I don't do everything in kink. There are certain things that I don't know. I'm still learning. But instead of being irresponsible and trying to teach those things, I'd rather bring in an instructor that knows a little bit more. So we're also going to bring in like, yeah, we're going to bring in other instructors. So I'm very excited for that because it's actually like a school and I'm going to be a professor. So I'm like, I'm excited. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you. And we have a ton of listeners in the New York City area. So feel free to peep the links and they they will be in the show notes and also promo them at the end of the show as well. So stay tuned. But talk to us um, about WIPs and what is that? I I know what that is. I Googled you and I researched you. But for those who are listening at home, what is WIPs? So me and my um, closest friend, Goddess Rue, decided to open whips once we were renting out other dungeons for our sessions and dungeons that were white-owned and we felt like we were getting microaggressions or we felt like there was some racism there. Just hearing feedback from other Black doms of what they experienced at certain dungeons. Um, so we were like, we need to have our own space. We was like, what do we want this space to be? Not only do we want it to be a dungeon space for doms this session, but we want it to be a space overall for sex workers and people of the community. So even if you're not a dom, if you are, you know, in any line of sex work where you're meeting a client and you might need to bring them into um, 
our dungeon for that. We have safety measures in place. We have like private codes for you to use to get in. It's 24 seven. So you never have to worry about it like being shut down. Um, it's private owned. So we're good there. And then we also rent it out for like people in the kink community that might want to throw parties, workshops. If someone wants to teach a seminar and need a place, they can come there. And it's at a very affordable rate of like $80 an hour. The reason why we did that, we, we looked at like different spaces in New York and a lot of places in New York are charging 300 plus an hour. Like, you know, it's insane. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to open it and just really have a space for us. And we also do other stuff there too. Like we did a content creation event for people that might need content for their sex work, um, but didn't know where to start. We had like photographers come because photographers can be expensive too. Mm -hmm. um, we have photographers and videographers come and we have all these different rooms in the dungeon. So it's just an overall place for us to like hang out. I throw my black and kinky parties there. Yeah. Um, just a space for us by us, you know? Wow. That's awesome. Again, like I'm just continuing to be in awe of everything that you do and like you just, your mission and your values, they are so clear. It's like, Everything for sex workers, um, everything for black and brown people, health, yes. And just, the, again, like being accessible. Like this is so apparent in like pretty much everything that you do. Um, how do you stay so headstrong within all of this amidst all of your success? I have very good people in my corner. So my family supports me. Um, my best friends, my closest friends, they all support me. A lot of my closest friends are doms or sex workers, so they know what it is. And not only that, like I said before, a good work-life balance. Like, I love my sex worker life, but I can get very vanilla, too. And I love my vanilla life of traveling and partying and restaurants and clubs and, you know, museums and stuff like that. So I try to, like, basically split the two in half and try not to bring them both together. You know, I try to keep them separate. Um only to keep my sanity because if it all mixed together, I would never get anything done because I mean, there's tons of people wanting for my attention every day. As soon as I pick up my phone and just log into anything, it's crazy town. Oh. So it's like, yeah. So it's just like, you know, just really just staying true to myself and, you know, telling myself why I got into this industry and why I love to make, you know, the changes that I'm making and how I just like to make sure that, you know, people are taken care of and sex workers are looked out for, you know? So if I can make someone's day, that makes my day, you know. Ugh, that's so freaking cool. You're so freaking cool. <laughs> I mean, like going back to what you said too and like having those boundaries, how do you go about establishing them? Especially like now it seems like you're really – it's really set in stone. I'm sure it wasn't always like that. <laughs> I think now like – like you said, when I first started out, it wasn't always like that. I had to work, work, work all hours of the night, early in the morning, reply to people. But now, like, you know, now I can re relax a little bit more and have a little bit more handle on my schedule. It's just me really telling myself, like, look, if you let sex work overshadow you to the point where, like, you're overwhelmed, then you won't like it. And I never want to resent this work because I love what I do. Mm -hmm. So I never want to get to the point where I'm like, oh, my God, I got to. I got to do this today. I got to mentor somebody today. Like I never want to be like that. So for me, I set boundaries. I set schedules. If yeah. people are messaging me after a certain time of the night, I'll look at it and reply when I'm ready, like to the next day. Um, I try to still keep that nine to five mindset. But for me, it might be more like a nine to 10 ish. Mm -hmm. But like even with my clients, I set boundaries. Like even on my booking sites, do not contact me after 11 p.m. Like 
no calls, text first, because, you know, I don't need you randomly calling me just to talk my ear off. Let me know what you're calling about, what you're trying to talk about. Um, just even setting boundaries, like, amongst people that are always wanting to reach out and say, like, can you teach me? Can you teach me? Can you teach me? Can you teach me? I get so many messages of, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And the information is right on my page. So yeah. now it's to the point where I'm just like, if you can't read the information on my page, I don't think you're ready for my classes yet because reading is going to be very <laughs> fundamental. Um, so just really setting those boundaries. It's like, you know, a lot of people might look at certain boundaries as, oh, she's being a bitch. But it's like, I have to protect myself and my sanity because I'm all I have at the end of the day. And you can be here today, gone tomorrow, especially with like social media trends too. People don't care about who the human is. They care about what the person is providing for them. People don't remember, oh, when she logs off, she still has a family. She still has to eat. She still has to do things that makes herself happy. She still has her bad days. I don't think people like realize that. No, people don't think that. And like what we put out on social media is like only a small glimpse and it might not even be like reality. (laughs) Right. And I think people forget that a lot and they just see um, what you put out and on your exterior. And yeah, people forget the humanizing aspect that, well, one, people just forget sex workers are human, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's um can be really frustrating. So I'm really like glad that you, you are acknowledging that you're aware of like, I need to, you know, cut this off. Cause yeah, like, like you and like, like myself as well. Like it can be, overwhelming to the point of a burnout exactly you never yeah. want that yeah have you been there before with all the work that you've done and are doing currently um, I think I had a burnout like at the beginning when I first started mentoring and couldn't get a handle on mentoring still having my regular clients and still trying to live my life and do content so I think that's when I pretty much had like a burnout but now it's pretty much like I set my schedule um you know I don't try to overwork myself. Um, pretty much just sticking true to the schedule. You have to stay to the schedule. And sometimes you have to tell yourself, like, girl, sit down, calm down. It's okay. This person can wait. Like, if you're going through something, this person can wait. You don't have to reply to them now. Like, give yourself some time. Like, you really just have to tell yourself these things. Totally. And for, I forgot to mention in the beginning of the episode, if you're hearing some squeaking and stuff, um, oh, yeah. really, <laughs> she, she got a puppy <laughs> recently. So there's, like, some toys. Oh, my like, Oh my gosh. Okay. He's like, put me down. So He's a little weak. Yeah. Okay, I'll put you down. Put me down now. <laughs> He's like, put me down. So for those who are just listening at home and not seeing this absolutely adorable visual, um, subscribe on Patreon because your pup is so cute. <laughs> well, I, like, I had to get like a puppy. It was one of my vanilla things to do for myself. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I just need something that, like, I feel like I have to take care of. I don't know. It was, I don't know. I love him, though. I love him. Well, he's adorable. So, so cute. Um, a couple last things I want to ask you before we wrap up and move over to a couple questions that came in from your fans. Um, I just wanted to speak, like, because you were, you were also mentioning, like, oh, you, when you were first kind of starting to get a handle on, like, mentorship and teaching. Um, tell us about that struggle. Because sometimes, like, we don't ever hear about that side as well I think for me the struggle was are people going to believe that like are people am I believable am I believable that I know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. um I think my biggest struggle with mentoring has been like 
Did I answer that person's question to the best of my ability? Um, um, did Is this person going to leave my sex academy with, like, um, knowledge? You know, sometimes, like, you sometimes, like, you don't want to feel judged. You don't want to feel like, oh, did I answer that right? Did, like, am I doing this right? Are they going back and telling people I'm not doing it right? Like, there's so many different things that you have to, like, worry about within the mentoring and teaching. And also just feeling like sometimes you don't have the time that you should have, you know, like, it's it's hard. It's like you want to be able to help somebody twenty four seven, but logically you can't do that. Like it's impossible. Um, and then also like you know when people come to you with self doubt, sometimes you have to be a therapist as a oh, mentor. That's the hardest part. I think that's the part that I'm like when I when it first started, I was like I didn't sign up for this because me personally, I'm someone that keeps my emotions in. I don't really share my emotions that much. I'm one of those people that believe in like. If something's going on, I got it. I'm going to fix it. I don't need to ask somebody for help, whatever. I'm that type of person. So when people are coming to me, sharing their emotions and like struggles within their life, I think that was the hardest part for me. Um, I'm getting better at it now and I'm good with like talking people through it and stuff like that. But I think the hardest part for me was like, oh, wait, they're telling me their whole life story and I wasn't ready for this, you know? So Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot. I mean, just as sex workers, we yeah. are often seen as therapists which we're not and, and not just like and not just through mentees like clients too there's clients yeah. that will have a lot of stuff they're going through you know that's yeah De- I was definitely referring to that because like clients for sure sometimes just tend to just trauma dump or just like lay everything out like especially yeah. remember that when I was a sugar baby and like going out with all these like lawyers and stuff and they're just like dumping all this, their work shit on me and like I don't know what to say to this like, yeah, it's boring. Yeah. It's like, um, I just want my allowance like yeah. <laughs> where's the money when's the dinner right. <laughs> yeah. um one last question for you I just want well with everything that is going on in your life with everything you do with the community, what are your next steps? Like, where do you want to continue to go to or or stop? That might be a thing, too. I think my next steps is to, like, I want a year where I can chill, make passive, like, income, and just travel wherever I want to go, like, all year. Like, I want to make it a thing to just travel, travel. Because I travel now, but, like, I really just want to have a year of traveling and also just to really keep growing within my community, keep throwing these events, um, definitely travel more with my events. So I tend to stay on the East Coast, but definitely want to travel more to like Cali, um, Texas, um, you know, places like that, you know, just really get out there more. Ooh. Well, again, manifest. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have no okay. doubt that this is going to become a reality for you very soon. Thank you. <laughs> Um, there are a couple questions that came in from the audience and I feel like they might, they can be potentially bigger questions. So why don't we, why don't we go into that if that's cool? Okay. So the first one came in, uh, from Instagram. So what are your thoughts on race play? My thoughts on race play, unless it's me getting reparations from white men, I just don't do it. Um, Yeah. There's some people, there's some clients, not even clients, because they're not even my clients. There's some people on FetLife that will approach me and say, hey, I want you to be my slave. And they're clearly a, a white man. You know, oh. I want you to I want you to play my black slave. They're like into, you know, the role play with that. I just block and go. I don't even engage. I don't even do any of that. I don't even let that into my spirit. Um, yeah, I just don't do it. Yeah, that's a lot. I just, uh 
uh, uh, like I just that makes yeah. me feel so uneasy and so like ugh, gross. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, for myself as an Asian woman, I mean, we're fetishized a lot. Definitely. Also by white men. Yeah. 100% of the time. So it's really exhausting. I don't – I'm with you. I don't engage in that at all. Like I will make a statement to try to educate them. I'll do a one-liner and like that's it. Move on. I feel like in this this industry, black women and Asian women, we get it the most. Oh, yeah. You know, we get the most fetishized, the most stereotypes. We get all that stupid shit. And it's just like, okay, it's 2022. Like I'm just going to block you. I'm not going to sit here and go back and forth. Yeah. Get with the program, and your dog also agrees. <laughs> so, um, the next question here, um, this person says, "Oh, I saw your video that went viral of you walking your sub on homecoming." <laughs> and <I'll, laughs> for everyone listening, like, just Google it. It's pretty fucking amazing. And then I think someone wrote, "Like, oh my gosh, you brought her sugar daddy!" Like, oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, "That's not my sugar daddy." Yeah, you're like, girl, no, <laughs> that's not what's going on here. Right. Um, uh, sorry, what was I? Um, yes. Yeah, so this, this person had seen your video that went viral of you walking your sub on homecoming. What is your take on playing out your clients' kinks in person? And it's a two-part question. I forgot to mention. Okay. So what's your take on playing out your clients as kinks in person? A second question, what about the other people that are not consenting in that scene? Okay, so I get that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first question about the um, subs and in person and sessions like that, usually what they do is they'll write me what type of kinks they're into. Usually I have a list of what kinks I'm into, so it's not too far off. Um, That sub in particular was into public humiliation. So he wanted to do um, public humiliation. Um, And then usually they'll approach me with the type of kink they want. I'll either agree to it or not agree to it. Consent is always my biggest thing. So it's never something where, oh, they're paying this. I'm going to do it just because if I'm not comfortable doing it, I don't do it. Um, So from there, we go about the session. Just like with that sub too, like I make sure I do aftercare. So we did aftercare. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, aftercare is really when you like, help the sub come down, you come down a little bit from the session. Um, and as for the question about the consent thing, so I get that question a lot when it comes to public humiliation. So I made sure that I was doing it at homecoming and not only was I doing it at homecoming, I was doing it in an area um, where they were having alcohol. So it was gonna be 21 plus only. And then also what I what I make sure I do is I'm very um, aware of what's around me. So I make sure like there's no minors, there's no kids, right. um, things of that nature. I, on my end, don't record. So the recording you saw of me was something that someone else took of me that I didn't know was being taken until I saw it. So I myself don't make it a thing to be like, I'm out here recording. Look at me. Like, again, those people didn't consent to being recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, there's nothing um, there's nothing crude going on. There's no nudity. Um, I'm not beating him in public. I'm not rating him in public. Um, I'm not doing anything inappropriate in public. So to me, in those terms of public humiliation, it's just a white guy having a leash that's walking with yeah. me. You know, when, yeah. when, you, when you kind of break it down that way, it makes yeah. more sense. And also it shows me and demonstrates like how responsible, <laughs> how responsible you're, you're also being. Because I've also yeah. seen videos and whatever BuzzFeed of other doms <laughs> on the other side of the country, you know, walking people through 
grocery stores and stuff like that where you know minors might be there there might be children in the background asking what's going on so i always make sure i know what events i'm going to and what places i'll be at before doing that for instance i did another public humiliation at a gay club and it was a nightclub so i knew everyone would be 21 and up i knew there would be no minors there um it was one of those clubs too where anything goes everyone's just having a good time and they loved it so you always want to just be aware of where you're going right um I would never do it in a grocery store. I would never do it in a library. It's just like places like that to me are off limits. You know, I even don't even like yeah. to do it at parks. I don't even like to do it at parks because kids could possibly be around. Yeah. Um, so you just, you know, mindful of those things. Yeah. And like also it just sounds like you have a quite a bit of a process as well. Like one, you have for your offerings already and you can either accept, not accept, you know. Right. And I think that's really cool because I like, I don't know if you have any stance on this, but don't, do you believe that there is some kind of like responsibility that needs to be had and demonstrated while doing public humiliation kinks? Um, I think the responsibility is making sure there's no minors around. I think there's definitely a responsibility in making sure you know what you're doing. Like, are you, are you whipping someone out in public? Are you trying to get nude? Are you exposing yourself? You know, things that could get you in trouble. Yeah. You know, I, I always say, you're already pushing the envelope with the public humiliation. You don't need to do much more beyond yeah. that. You know, um, certain things, I think there's nudity and stuff. There's places for that. There's BDSM clubs for that. There's sex clubs for that. There's, you know, um, play parties for that. But just, you know, be careful in that sense. Right. Oh, sorry about play parties. I forgot to ask you about Black and Kinky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Let's go back there. <laughs> Um, Black and Kinky is a play party series I started three years ago after I was working at the Swingers Club and it was like, it was just a lot of old white people there. And I was like, how can I bring this to my demographic um, and make it really fun and up to date and hip? So then I started Black and Kinky and we started out with just a small party in an Airbnb where we weren't supposed to be doing that. (laughs) And then we moved on to like bigger venues and stuff of that nature. Um, So it's something that's for Black and Afro, Latino um, single men, single women, couples, however you identify. Um, if you're single, if you're a couple, you can come. Excuse me. And my best friend is my assistant on that. So my best friend from college, he's awesome. my assistant with that. And we have different themes. We've had a pajama jam. Well, we're having a pajama jam in July. Um, we've had Halloween parties. We had Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving last Fun. year. We've had Zodiac edition where people had to wear certain wristbands based on their Zodiac sign. Cute. Um, we've had like 70s parties. And then we've also done something in like a literal castle in the mountains. And we're going back again this September. So we've done Oh, that's of- the one you're mentioning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That yes. sounds like so much fun. Cool. Yeah. So lots of things to look forward to. I mean, now is the right time to kind of plug everything. I'm sure people are dying to ask, where can we find you? What about these parties? What about all of the things that you do? Plug it all. <laughs> yes. So... Well, social media deletes me a lot, so I go back and forth a lot with that. But you can find me on Instagram at Marley, but it's M-A-R-L-E-E, Mistress. So Marley Mistress on Twitter, where all the fun stuff is that I can't put on Instagram. Um, It's Eyes, E-Y-E-S-X, on, O-N, Fire. So Eyes, X, on Fire. You can find me there. It's Patreon.com slash Sex Academy. So S-E-X-C-A-D-E. E-N-Y. Um, also from my Marley Mistress page on Instagram, I have all my links to my lingerie line, Pink Matrix. I also have Black and Kinky up there. And I also have the tag for Whip's Dungeon. 
Um, so really, if you go on any of those sites and click the link in my bio, you'll find everything that I'm doing, everything that's going on. Um, we have a Black and Kinky has a castle retreat coming up in September. So if you want more information about that, you can follow the Black and Kinky page. And that's pretty much all the craziness I have going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much all the craziness. You have a lot of craziness going on. <laughs> yes, a lot. But, you know, it's all good stuff. And, like, I'm just so, so happy that I got a chance to speak with you today to have this amazing conversation on mentorship and just all of the freaking crazy awesome things that you do. Again, as mentioned earlier, all the crazy things that you do for the community. It's just truly admirable. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. For everyone else at home or walking your dog or something, wherever you're listening to the show, it's Script by Sia on all podcast platforms. Um, if you are listening on Spotify, feel free to follow the show and rate five stars if you like it. Uh, if you're listening on Apple, a review and five star rating would also help. But of course, I hope that's legit. Like, don't just <laughs> don't just do it because I'm telling you to. Although that'd be great, but like, yeah, I would love your honesty and your feedback on that. Uh, new episodes every single Sunday. It is stripped by Sia on Twitter, on Instagram, and Patreon as well. And we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week. Thank you, Mr. Smarley. Thank you. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Dabrin.